Welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Hole. Um, this is your host, Mark, speaking. Uh, we're doing this one uh, through the interwebs. Uh, this is our first full length that we're actually going to be doing remotely. Um, but as always, I am joined with uh, my good colleagues, my esteemed colleagues. Uh, I've got Eric. Good. Yeah, good. Yeah. Happy evening. You sound uh, glorious over the internet's uh, neural pathways. Excellent. And then also, uh, Stephen, are you out there? Are you out there in the uh, in the void? I'm right here, and I'm going to get those motherfuckers. That's <laughs> my impression of the entire movie of uh, Patriots Day. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> which is the best of the bunch. So tonight, it's uh, not the worst. It's definitely not the worst of the bunch. So tonight, we're going to actually just be lumping all of the Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross um, film scores all into just one super episode. Uh, depending on how lengthy our conversation goes, we may split this into two, as there is quite I, a few I, scores. I, th- I think that's what we're going to do, Mark. I don't know if you got my email. I did. Uh, Okay. Yeah. I think but tonight maybe gonna... cooler heads will prevail as we just blow through some of these scores. We'll see. We'll see. I I feel like as we start to talk about these goddamn films, who knows how long this will take. But uh what we'll start with tonight is the actual the movies. The actual the movie movies right. that they, so, they score. Sure. Absolutely. Cool. And we're gonna do these in sequential order. So if this is the first time you've ever listened to our podcast, again, this is Pod Like a Hole, your Trent Reznor and all things Nine Inch Nails podcast that uh, you can shoot into space and hopefully alien life forms will come across this one day and this will be the testament to all things Nine Inch Nails. Hopefully um, not this episode or the next one, if there is a next one. But uh <laughs> Exactly. There will be. Um but uh yeah, that's actually the entire al- uh, uh, podcast title. We just abbreviate it, just pod like a whole. Um, so tonight we're going to talk about movies and scores um, that he did with Atticus Ross. Um, so uh, to start off, is there any any news that we should be uh, talking about? Oh, God. I'm always sideswiped by this question. Uh, yeah. time it happens. I don't it's think so. Question. The only, on, okay, Eric, you got something to say? Because I got to let my dogs out. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only news was just the regarding... Baja men are over there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah. Uh, couldn't pass it up. Uh, the only news was actually related to one of the scores we're talking about tonight. So we'll just save it for that. Yeah. All right. Because uh, Yeah, they just released the Bird Box score uh, in the last week on streaming services. And there was a bit of news about how that's going to be released that we'll talk about. So. All righty. Yeah. Um, so and we did. We did talk about this. Will not contain obviously Social Network, their first score, as we had devoted an entire episode to that. Yes. We just, so we we de- dedicated an entire episode to the Social Network because it was groundbreaking, and I think that uh, if you were to use our normal format, which is going by track by track, you could do that with the Social Network. Um, we will not be doing that tonight. My God. Uh, oh no! I think tonight. What do you guys want to do? Just uh, well, I got I I noted two tracks off each of these albums that I give a shit about. So that that's all I'm I'm doing. Alrighty. So without further ado, should we get to our first score, or is there anything yes. else that we need no, to the, catch up on? 
Yep, we did a uh, pop culture and everything for all these years before, and uh, as well as our own autobiographies, which is usually the format of the show, dear listeners. But uh, nope, those have been done for these years. What are these years we're we talking about here? We're not going to. Uh, so we're not gonna 2011 you. to 2017 or 2018, actually. Actually, actually well, yeah. 2017 or 18, yeah. 18. Yeah. My God, what year is this? <laughs> As Dale Cooper once said, it's, it's um, when did yeah Bird Box came out in uh, 2018. 2018. No, 18. We're in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> that won't be the first time that I that somebody brings up Twin Peaks tonight. Um, All right. So right. we'll start. We will start with the uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo, and uh, here's a little track off that. With the dragon tattoo. Um, so, did you guys rewatch all these movies? I, I did. did. Yeah. Yes. Yep. I rewatched. I rewatched all of them except for this one. <laughs> um, I just something about this movie didn't sit right with me the first time I saw it, but that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to put myself through it again. Not that, yeah, nothing traumatic or anything, but. Only so many hours in the day, and uh, I had to watch fucking Patriots Day for the first time. But um, I really enjoyed the score. But Eric, let's uh, let's try to get a format here. Uh, do, do you have any notes on the their their approach to this one? Uh, yeah, there's there's a as far as making the soundtrack goes, um, it's there's no orchestra. It is with the exception of the two. Uh, like band songs, like they obviously the immigrant song, which is a Led Zeppelin cover, with uh, uh, features Karen O on vocals from the AAS, um, and then later there's a How to Destroy Angels song, which we've already discussed, uh, covering Brian Ferry. Um, but other than that, it's just Trent and Atticus, no other musicians involved, and uh, they wanted to take an approach on this one that was, um they wanted it to be cold sounding. So, um, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the instruments you hear like uh, metal based instruments, a lot of fret work, you know, Trent's always like to do the buzzy frets. So there's a bit of that going on harmonics, um, you know, using like uh, metal percussion instruments and sampling those, uh, to try to give it like a, a like a cold sound instead of a, a big orchestra sound. Um, so that was their approach on, on how to make it, uh, you know, what the sound was going to be like. Um, I mean, they went all, I mean, they went, you know, they swung for the fences on this one. It's got three discs. It's got 39 songs. Um, they released it, you know, uh, right. They, they first released immigrant song. And I remember seeing it in the trailer before the movie ever came out. Um, yeah. That, that, that cover of immigrant song. Um, I really, that, that, I, that, that trailer, when I first saw that, I think I I think I first saw it in the theater uh, before something else. And uh, it definitely was a, a fun moment hearing a Led Zeppelin song with uh, yeah, Karen O covered by Nine Snails 
for an upcoming Fincher movie. That was a that was that was a good moment. It's a good song. released they did the ghosts one through four edition uh, like the super edition of this with like a big box set that probably cost two hundred dollars um with a bunch of additional artwork um they also uh put out you know obviously vinyl version they put out multi-tracks so people could remix some of the songs mm -hmm. on here um as you'll see with all of these it gets really complicated with their four-year consideration albums what that means is all of these were presented to um to various, uh, you know, guilds of filmmakers for their consideration for award shows, Golden Globes, yeah. and, and I found, Oscars. I found, I found a version of Patriot's Day that threw me way off that had one of those. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's confusing because there's a lot more songs on the four-year consideration ones, but the songs are smaller. So I almost think they cut up some of their... What they, I think what they did on them is they cut up the original versions and give them new names, names that actually like represent what was happening in the scenes to make it easier for the, uh, the judges or whatever. Anyways, it's confusing and you can't find those anyways. So you can't listen to them. So we're not even really talking about it. But if you, if you find, if you go down a rabbit hole on the internet, they're very confusing. So we're just sticking with the standard release. Um, yeah. So, uh, anyways, I hope that, uh, answers your question there. That's the... that, that that answers it for the most part. Be prepared to be asked it again. Um, Happily. What did, how, did, how did you guys feel about the movie in general? I'll start. Um, I will say that I did watch um, the original trilogy uh, from the Swedish trilogy, and uh, I, I, I was a fan. I really enjoyed it. I didn't understand why there necessarily needed to be an American remake. Um, but when I heard that David Fincher was going to direct it, that's and, why right uh, there, just because it was yeah. David Fincher. I'll yeah. watch that. I'll I'll bring it up later. But uh, if that guy wants to film uh, my cat taking a shit, I don't even own a cat, but uh, <laughs> he can make anything mundane look great. So yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, Daniel Craig, um, I think he had already been in at least one of the Bond movies. I think he had already done Casino Royale. Um, uh, by yeah. then, by then, Quantum of Solace would have been out as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And I liked what he was doing. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I was a fan. I saw it, I think, uh, it came out, I think around Christmas week of that year, the movie. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Because um, it actually it came out Christmas day. I remember the very, uh, the trailer for it very starkly said like December 25th mm -hmm. or, or Christmas day, one of the two, but yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, I went and saw it with uh, my wife and her parents. 
Well, there you go. <laughs> I know exactly what was going to happen in the movie. I already warned them, but they were interested. They saw trailers. So um, me and Jen, we were going to get married. Oh, we had actually gotten married this year. Um, so we were already husband and wife. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, I actually um, don't have as much uh, deference to this film as Steve does. Actually, I, I do actually really like um this whole uh story and um we can kind of go in there but i i liked it there is some absolutely unsettling moments that you just never want to watch again but yeah i'm able to just kind of see past that because i did get really invested into the character of lisbeth salander um and uh uh i've read the first book i have read a little bit of the second one um, and I have not watched any of the new movie because that new movie is not actually written by the original author because the original author of the books, he actually mysteriously was found dead in his apartment. So Stieg Larsson. Yeah. yeah. Mysteriously. Mysteriously. Uh, yeah, no, you know, there, there's parts in Gone Girl, which are pretty unsettling that it actually strike a similar tone to some of the stuff I didn't want to revisit in Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. But for oh, whatever yeah. reason, for whatever reason in that movie, I can, I, I, I don't, I've watched that movie uh, four times now, three or four times now. Is it the but, rape yeah. scene in Girl with a Dragon Tattoo yeah, that's no, just I, so unsettling? Yeah, yeah. There's also similar things and, you know, like we all, I think there's nothing that the three of us can see that uh, we can't handle. But uh, when something's presented in just a certain way, I just, I, I don't want to go back to it. You know? I hear you. I, I mean, it's just. That's it. We're going to talk a little bit of spoilers real fast. I mean, I know that, uh, um, uh, not to, I mean, we're going to spoil it. So like that scene also with Daniel Craig hanging in, um, uh, Stellan Skarsgård's, uh, basement. And when they put the, like the, uh, plastic bag over his head and why like Enya's Orinko flow is playing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's just scenes like there that are so unsettling that it does give you kind of claustrophobia. But uh, I actually really enjoy the music and the cinematography and the filmmaking is fantastic. It's got good music. And I got to be honest, I I'm always I always enjoy still in Sarsgaard. I mean, who doesn't? Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, yeah, but, you know, that's you know, there's only so many time. There's only so many hours to go back to so many things. But uh, definitely, it's not a bad movie by any means. I just, uh, eh, I didn't need to go back. I have, uh, an, opi- I have an opinion. <laughs> Let's hear it, Eric. Usually, I, I, oh, shit, Eric's here. Yes. <laughs> oh, actually, it's very similar to, to Mark's. Uh, I never read the books, um, but my uh, Heather, my wife, did. And we watched the Swedish trilogy and, and rather liked it. Um, and so when this was coming out, we actually had the exact same like reaction, like, why but okay it's fincher um and obviously trent being involved got me pumped um the first time i watched it i it was literally forgettable like i don't even think i remember i don't remember how i felt the first time i watched it and i never felt the need to revisit it but i'm happy i did i um i did really enjoy enjoy myself watching it again um just looking at the like you said the claustrophobia of the filmmaking is really impressive and Just looking at the themes of the movie, um, I think there's a uh, actually this this movie podcast that we brought up the uh, '80s all over. They they always talk they talk about the 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 rape cliche in movies and how like offensively bad it is. 
and like it's kind of like a trope to get you automatically invested in a character but usually yeah, it's like, like it's like it's like putting kids in danger it's a right. it's a right. shortcut and and usually you don't get the girl like you don't get very much of her like real aftermath from that kind of thing um and usually it's like a guy that then has to avenge her so um but i think that that part is so important to the story because i mean this is a there's a real feminist like through line through this movie um i mean the original title of the book was men who hate women that was what he was going to call it before he before i wish they would have i wish they would have i wish they would have kept that and they definitely slapped it on the name of the american movie Right. Yeah. yeah. We can, uh, and we could, we could deal with more Americans having that rub in their faces. Right. Exactly. And because, you know, the, obviously they, it starts there and you kind of just see like the predicament that she's in, uh, but also just, uh, you know, basically like she's got, you know, some fucked up shit that happened to her. It's going to take a lot to kind of overcome that. She meets somebody who she feels like she could care about something again with, uh, with, uh, you know, Daniel Craig's character. And in the end, she actually like is able to kind of tap into her emotion. She even becomes like, even like towards the, like at the end, she even becomes like this like image of somebody that she hates. And even she's infiltrating um, Daniel Craig's like rival of the guy that he's trying to take down, you know, but she does all of this for him and basically saves his career, saves his damn life. And at the end, he's walking out with uh, his uh, mistress and like walking out of the, and she like, you know, she bought him this gift, throws it the dumpster, drives off. It's just like uh you know, it's definitely a tale just about, you know, definitely part of it is how, you know, men use women in the different ways. And uh, I don't know. I thought that was pretty powerful. And I and I picked up a lot more on it the second time I watched it. Yeah. I mean, I, it's a film that I own. Um, so I've rewatched it a couple times. Uh, but the last time I've just really got invested into it. And like, yeah, that last scene that you were just referring to <clears throat> does kind of break my heart a little bit because um Elizabeth's character was so, um, you know, isolated and alone. And um, here she thought that she had some sort of emotional connection uh, to Daniel Craig's character. And uh, then it turns out he was just like, I've moved on. Thanks for saving my ass. And I'm going to go back to how my life was. And uh, yeah, it just kind of does break my heart a little bit. I, I do really like this film. And I think the score matches the tone. Um, it's very brittle. It's very sparse in that sense. Brittle um, is a perfect, perfect word. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like that. Yeah. Like if you the, the, a picture of it, I would just think of like, you know, a, a, a frozen pond that's barely frozen that could, that could crack at any moment. Yeah. yeah they convey yeah. that pretty well. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny that as we talk about it, it does make me notice that between Social Network, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and Gone Girl, um, these themes might be in other Fincher works, but he definitely, this could be the uh, Toxic Masculinity Trilogy. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. All, definitely. All definitely have uh, just terrible men and women trying to do something about it. And, I mean, I think Gone Girl takes that and it twists it up a little bit, um, takes that idea of toxic max- masculinity, um, but I think you might be onto something. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't think it was intentional, but it definitely becomes a through line. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. So I, 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 actually, for I've since I will never pursue these probably the story anymore. That I'm sorry, Mark. Did you read all the books or just this one? Just the first one, but the books, uh, the second one, which is uh, the girl who uh, played with fire, 
the sec- the third book, um, which was supposed to actually be this whole thing was supposed to actually kickstart a trilogy, and then some shit just happened with Sony, and uh, I think they changed studio heads, and they didn't really feel that this movie had enough uh, box office uh, behind it. And so they just kind of scrapped it and then they rebooted it this year, but they told the actress, uh, Rooney Mara, who plays Lisbeth, like, no, you signed you to a three picture deal. Um, if you do happen to have the Blu-ray, um, or have the digital copy on the extras, there's a whole bunch of interviews where, um, she had to go through hell on, um, getting this role. Uh, she was probably up against, um, I think she was up against like Scarlett Johansson, um, uh, Natalie Portman, Jennifer Lawrence, you know, those kind of women. Yeah. The typical. And so like, she really had to like go through the paces, uh, to, to get this role. Um, but it's it's an interesting little interview. One actress I can see doing this. that isn't a big time actress, but does, uh, I don't know. Kicking. Oh God, that sounds cliched. Uh, (laughs) she literally beats the shit out of people in space is, um, Zoe, uh, who's God damn it, uh, from Star Trek in the Gar- Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, uh, Zoe's Saldana. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can see her doing this, but um, but uh, <sighs> um, but yeah, I I didn't read the second and third book, but the I, you know, and that's another thing I kind of do want to revisit the Swedish films now, um, because I can't remember exactly. Uh, there is kind of like an overarching theme and storyline that goes through all of them, like this whole big conspiracy and how they're all connected. Um, that guy that, uh, she took down, um, that plays another role. Uh, the guy that like, uh, was suing. Right. The guy that, yeah. Daniel Christ, right. Right. Uh, I, yeah. he was part of this other organization that then, you know, becomes part of that. Cause the third book was called the girl who kicked the hornet's nest. And then um, this whole new one, the girl in the spider web and all of that, that's a whole nother author. And they just picked up and made a franchise out of that. And that's probably where they're going to go from there. But I, I didn't, the reviews for this new one that came out would be considered like the fourth book. Um, It's like the Godfather. Remember when the Godfather, like someone came back out and like started writing more Godfather books. Um, That's how I kind of see it, you know? Um, Right. Or like, yeah, the, um, Frank Herbert's son taking over. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. The, the wheel of time guy. Yeah. Did Robert Jordan never finish the wheel of time or did his son? I don't know. Um, it's the wrong podcast for that, (laughs) but I, I am kind of glad though, that they didn't continue as far as David Fincher goes, because I can't picture David Fincher locking himself down to a franchise and telling, telling like the same type of story for like three movies in a row. He's uh yeah. He's too I, I want to see him do different things. So like that's even like they keep saying, have you guys seen that he might do the sequel to World War Z? Which just seems bizarre to me. Because I him doing a sequel to someone else's movie seems wrong in my mind. Alien three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, that's true. Uh, his, his true vision isn't as bad as everybody else uh what we got, I'm sure. Well, there's definitely uh, enough songs on the soundtrack for three movies. Yeah, yeah, definitely to actually flesh this out. Right. And that's one thing that um, it seems that, you know, and now that Bird Box, we'll talk a little bit more about that really? later. But I mean, um, this, I don't think every piece of instrumentation and score work was actually included in here. So I'm kind of wonder. I mean, if there was, I wasn't able to pick all of that out because right. I just 
don't have a discerning ear where I can, oh, that's that track. And no. I mean, I did uh, my prep work for this uh, a little bit ago. And so I couldn't, I mean, if we were to talk about like standout tracks, I think you guys are going to be in a better place for that. Um, well, I think how they do it too, is I think they, they, you know, record these songs and a lot of these songs are like upwards of five, six, seven minutes. And I think, you know, whoever's yeah. putting the movie together, um, editing, you know, the sound, the sound designer, you know, is finding little moments in others in the songs to put them in. So when you hear it out of context like that, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to know what song there's a few songs. I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember that part of the movie. Um, but yeah. Okay, so it. It, it, so since I don't think any of us can speak to trying to find a particular moment in the movie where the music made a huge difference, which is mm-hmm. fine. We already we already established this movie. Let's just try to keep like a sensation. This entire soundtrack gives you is it's very brittle. I like that. But yeah. um, I, I have a couple of standout tracks here. Eric, what are your standout tracks for this? Yeah. One? So I know which one you're going to say, and I completely agree. So I'm going to talk about a couple other ones. Um, okay. Thank you. And also, I think let's take let's take immigrant song off the table. Obviously, that song fucking rocks. It's really good. The way it's used with that cool opening sequence with like, you know, uh, essentially like a girl covered in wires and oil, and you know, it's it's amazing. It's like a fucking industrial uh, uh, modus operandi. But uh, yeah, it's great. But the songs that I picked um, were uh, I really liked. Hold on here. I really enjoyed off disc three or a column, which is a, um, it's like a pretty pounding rocking, uh, little track. And I think actually this one was not in the movie. Oricon? Uh, Oraculum. It's uh, track 32. It's got uh, metallic world drums, um, out of tune. Uh, it's f- fitting that whole like out of tune. Because like, you know, instruments, string instruments, when you put them in the cold, they immediately all go out of tune. And that he and he specifically said he was going for that sound for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So it's got not. a lot of that going on in the background. Um, uh, bug noise. Uh, but it's got that, the world drums really make this one kind of fun. And I don't even, I don't remember this one in the, uh, in the movie at all, but this is a really cool song. Um, and I like, uh, pinned and mounted. That is is a good one. Is a fun little, uh, off kilter piano, big drums coming in later. Um, and just kind of a mystery, like building a mystery kind of feel to it.
Yeah, no, yeah. Pin, pin the Mountain stuck, stuck out to me. Um, the tracks that really kicked me in my ass was A Thousand Details. Oh, yeah. Um, I think I might have messaged you guys about that one. That, that one just, that, that, that sounds like it could be, uh, it could be in, I might say this a few times tonight. It actually sounds like it could have started with a demo for uh, the game Quake. And then right. they yes. just, uh, absolutely. They layered, yeah, they layered some, some stuff on top of it. I can imagine, I can imagine Nice Neil's playing that live actually and people getting a, a thrill out of it. Yeah. Uh, so it's got like a driver down, like it, it kind of it scratches your driver down itch a little bit, you know. There's it's a good, a, yeah. It really, it's got, you know, a lot of the, my favorite songs off this stuff are songs that build and uh, they layer some stuff on top, but they don't layer, it's not intricate at all. It's just kind of, it's actually thudding and plotting, but it's got some good riffs and some of these, it's, it's good. wrote on mine best song but i knew you were going to bring it up so i was saving it for you but yeah it's yeah, too that's, easy it's too easy it's oh, the, the other one that really gets me is uh, an itch Niche has what I will refer to a few times tonight, and I've done it in the past in the show, is that it has some of those Miami Vice uh, uh, pulsating synths running, oh, yeah. running around. And um, 
it basically it's some of that Miami Vice sound, uh, like running run, running a, a a sequencing board, and then there's like sirens and pianos plinking at a, a slower pace. Yeah. Uh, it's it's you hear a variation of that in a lot of their stuff for these movies, and that's fine because I mean shit, they're two guys. How how many different, you know, between. Uh, they've done like 25 hours of score music. Now you only have so many places you can go. So, um, yeah, that's one, uh, one, th- the Miami vice themes with pianos plinking underneath. It's one of my favorite things. An inch is a good, an itch is a good one. Yeah. I agreed. Oh, I All also, right, well, I'd uh, also go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say the only other one that's on here is the same as the others. And I feel like this is the song that plays during that end scene where she throws the jacket away. Um, when she realized Daniel Craig, just kind of like a, just kind of like a dick and used her like, like other people have. Um, anyways, it's just like a really moody, uh, noisy little thing. And I, and I like that song a lot. So that was my only other one that I put on here. Um, if I'm going through my notes, Eric, by Oraculum, I said that it sounds like the blue man group on acid. There you go. So, uh... Exactly. That's perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> for that track. <laughs> Uh, Mark, other, standout track, other standout tracks, if anybody wants to look in, is uh, What If We Could, Cut Into Pieces, and uh, Infiltrator are all ones I really dug. Yeah, yeah. Mark, you got any I would agree with... Uh, oh, go ahead. No, I would agree with all of those uh, um, all of those little individual tracks. I mean, like I said, it's been a while since I've um, uh, listened to this. I, I, I do enjoy the whole score as a whole like I had mentioned earlier. Um, but no, I don't have anything else to add besides I'm, I'm a fan. Let, uh, let me just add this really quick. Um, what I think is impressive about this is there's a lot of filler. Okay. Agreed. But none of it isn't yeah. pleasant. I was listening to this and like Heather comes out and goes, Oh, what are you listening? It sounds like my kind of music. Like she's a big tangerine dream fan or whatever. And I, you know, so like this, like, <laughs> this just, sounds you know, unpleasant, <laughs> uh, but it's like, they, they had a sound, the sound palette they wanted to hit, which was that cold, icy sound. And I think they nailed that. And, he, and um, even though there's a lot of filler, this one actually has more songs that engage me with like a big drive to them than I think uh, most of the other sound score work. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, fuck, it's, it's bookended by two great uh, vocal songs. So I, yeah, it's, that, it's cool. that is true. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out before we move on is that that version of Immigrant Song is awesome. And then as we just said in the Social Network episode, that version of the Brian Ferry song, uh, Is Your Love Strong Enough? Is that what it is? Yeah, we uh, talked about yeah. that in the How to Destroy Angels episode. Wait, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, that's what, that's what I yeah. meant to say. That's a good song. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, that one has grown on me. I'll be <laughs> honest with you. I thought it was going to be a little cheesy. Uh, oh, I used to think it was a little cheesy because I still wasn't like really bought in to... I'm still not a hundred percent behind Howard destroy angels. No. And anybody that listens to our episode knows that we're not. Um, um but I, I, I like, I'm sorry to it, step on you. Oh no, no I was just going to say it, you know, it, it's grown on me. Yeah. It's funny dear listeners is that after like a few months, we finally learned how to talk and not interrupt each other. But then when you're not in the same room, it's a whole <laughs> new ball game. Yeah. Um, no, that, but the, the reason I really enjoy that, uh, that cover is because Trent Reznor, I actually like his vocals on it quite a bit when he chimes in. Um, yeah. It's a good song. Yeah. All right. Well, with the, without further ado, we're going to leave Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, and we will be right back in a moment.
and we're back. All right. So, <laughs> Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, a very uplifting tale of um, sex and people being broken. It was followed by Gone Girl, a very <laughs> uplifting tale of sex and people being broken. Um, Gone Girl, this movie I like quite a bit. Uh, much like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, my wife and I saw it in the theater when it first came out. Um, but it, it, the, the, the day I saw it, I was completely engaged with it for whatever reason. I don't, I don't know why. Uh, I was looking forward to the Trent Reznor soundtrack. I appreciated the fact that it was a book that I think my wife either read or was going to read. Um, I don't know. Everything about Gone Girl appealed to me quite a bit. And uh, revisiting it for the podcast, I enjoyed it uh, even, even more, maybe. Um, I'll get into some of my specifics about the movie that I like a lot. Uh, did you guys see Gone Girl when it first came out? What was your your history with it? Did you read the book? I don't know. I didn't read the book. I was familiar with what the uh, I, I didn't. Uh, I knew that there was like a big twist ending, um, and I I didn't know about it. So when I first saw the movie, I was just you know I was evergreen on that because or you know uh, ignorant on that. Normally I love to spoil shit, but uh, I just. Went into this one. Yeah, fucking yeah, Mark. Even his favorite things, he goes to Wikipedia. That's uh, yeah. That's how he. Um, <laughs> but um, I I haven't read any of her works. Uh, it I don't know if it's Jillian or Gillian. I don't know if it's pronounced a certain way or the other Flynn. Um, she also wrote the uh, that HBO. Um, limited series. It was based on her book, Sharp Objects. Oh, that was really good. Yeah, I, heard, I, heard, I heard good things about that. That was pretty good. Yeah. I, I, really, I enjoyed I, it. I really liked it. Was that Amy Adams? Who's that? Amy, Amy, Amy Adams. Adams yeah, yeah. 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 Amy Adams is good. She's good. She's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, she was, Amy Adams was in, um, was she in Arrival? Who was in Arrival? Yes, she was in Arrival. Yeah. Okay. She was in Arrival. Arrival written the by Arrival. the same person. The Arrival. Not Arrival. Arrival. That's oh, no, that's true. not thinking yeah. of Contact. The Arrival. Arrival was Charlie Sheen. The Arrival was Amy Adams. Or maybe um, it's the other way. <laughs> you're going to ask, why is Steve talking about The Arrival? Because The Arrival was great, and the screenplay was also by the same person who wrote the screenplay for Bird Box, and I can't believe it's the same person. Anyhow. Wow. <clears throat> All right, so... so Mark um, enjoyed Gone Girl. How about you, Eric? Oh, yeah, so I didn't see it until it came out on DVD. Um and I, I, I liked it. Um, it's the, at the, at first watch, you don't really, um, kind of, you don't, you don't really kind of know what you're getting. It's kind of like a mystery for the first half, but then they don't reveal the mystery at the end. They reveal it at about the, the two thirds mark. And, um, and then, and then the rest of the movie is like a kind of like a, a battle of wits, a, almost like a, an emotional cat and mouse type of game as you realize uh yeah and I, as far as toxic masculinity goes they do play with it but i think it still is appropriate because um you know ben affleck in it <laughs> he treats her like like garbage you know after once they once they settle down and the uh excitement of a new relationship is gone you know he basically definitely treats her like garbage but she was already kind of messed up and already kind of planning on what she was going to do. But I think it kind of shows like when you take people for granted, um, you know, it definitely, it makes you weaker and makes you more susceptible. And, uh, and uh, that's yeah, kind of what it, happened to him. I agree with that. But I think in this case that 
she is kind of the kind of person that if she was with a partner that didn't treat her like garbage, she would have reciprocated it by not uh, being put putting them through what they go through in this movie. Right. Um, but Ben Affleck brings out the worst in her because he's just that bad. Right. Um, she has to basically, you know, fight fire with fire, I think. Yeah. Which that's, I mean, as the movie, you'll, you'll notice that in the beginning of the movie, even if it's in her journal and you don't know how much of it's true, she definitely plays up being the victim. Sure. But then by the end of the movie, he's the one that's like sneaking into rooms and locking the door and hi- hiding under covers. And he's afraid of her. So it gets right. all, it gets turnabout is definitely fair play. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm a big fan of it. Uh, do you have any, uh, I think you mentioned to me, this has a big, kind of a bigger, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll get, I'll, I'll get to that. I wanted to talk about Ben Affleck though. <laughs> cause I, cause I have, uh, let's keep, I have kind of a, compl- about, a complicated feel, thought. Yeah. How do we feel about Ben Affleck in general? Let's, uh, you start Eric. You yeah. I, I feel like he's probably kind of like his character in this movie. I feel like it's probably pretty close. Um, I like as a, as a kid, like a teenager, I obviously like a lot of us did thought Kevin Smith was great. So since he came from the Kevin Smith, you know, uh, band of players, uh, you know, I, I thought I was a fan of his cause you know, he's kind of funny and kind of good in those movies and he's, you know, good in like goodwill hunting, but, um, and then not good in a lot of things. And I think what he's good at is, I don't think he's a great actor. I think he's good at being like raw and angry. I think he does realistic angry pretty well, like belligerent. And he does that in this movie a few times to the point where it's almost kind of scary. And it's kind of reminding me of like, yeah, he clenches his jaw and like looks at whoever's talking to him when he's angry and just like, he's going to kill that person. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And that's kind of where I feel. I definitely, I think he's, he's definitely, I think he tapped into something he probably knows is already there. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, he's always kind of been a douche bro shithead. No, nobody's right. going to deny that. Yeah. They, they, they harnessed it quite well in, in this movie. Um, Agreed. Agreed. I really like um, his sister, uh, Carrie Coon. Um, yeah. And I like her in a lot of things. Uh, Leftovers and uh, Fargo and, um, and she's a Fargo show. And she's fantastic in this too. She's a probably favorite character in this. Yeah, I feel like she cuts him a little right. too much slack. I know that they're twins, so whatever. And they even yeah. bring up in the movie, I, I you know, uh, I don't know if it's the uh, the police officer whom I love the detective in this. What well, I don't know what else she's in. She's in other things I've seen. Um, right? Yeah, I oh, looked her up. A, she was in uh, the Fear of the Walking Dead. Uh, okay. She was in Deadwood. Uh, um, I, that's probably what I I saw her in. I'm sure. Yep. Um, I think her name is Madison. Some no, that's her character's name on Fear of the Walking Dead. Um, but yeah, she's good. Um, I mean, the cast is actually kind of interesting. Neil Patrick Harris, um, Tyler right. Perry. Yeah, oh Neil, yeah. Neil, Tyler. Patrick, <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris, who I've decided, uh, is a poor man's David Hyde Pierce, but yes, he's, 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 in this. <laughs> and he was um, good. And, uh, of course, Ro- Rosamund Pike is the gone girl, the titular gone yep. girl. And she's fantastic. I mean, she's doing an American she's great. accent, but, um, which is kind and of, what else is she, I was talking to Becky last night. What else? Becky said she's a supporting role in a lot of stuff. What else is she? She, that she was the, like the number two, uh, uh, Bennett, Bennett, uh, Bennett girl from, uh, uh, Pride and Prejudice, the Keira Knightley version. Um, mm-hmm. and she's been in some other stuff as well. Um, Jack Reacher. 
Jack Reacher. Oh, there you, there you go. go. Getting back um, to the point of this show. Wrath of the Titans. She was in the Doom movie. <laughs> oh. oh, that's right. Well, tangentially tied it to our podcast. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> and she was also in Die Another Day, the last oh, right. Brosnan one. Okay. Oh, that, that's the one so terrible with the invisible car. Ugh. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, it's so bad. Uh, okay. So, yeah, so this, this movie has a great cast. Tyler Perry, actually, I think is really good in it. I think they yeah. just, it's unfortunate though, because Tyler Perry has a reputation for uh, writing um, female characters that are like trifling bitches that, you know, get put in their places. <laughs> and I was like, wow, he plays a, a guy trying to shut down, you know, uh, Ben Affleck's uh, situation. So well, being in the, yeah. you know, the, the, the meat, the me too era puts a different, like it puts a little film over this movie and not necessarily in a bad way, but like, like as good as Tyler Perry is, like he's defending, uh, terrible husbands. Well, and, I think, you know, that, I think yeah. you know that though. Like, I, I don't think. Right. Right. I mean, but he's, even he, though... he kind of is a, he is portrayed as a hero a little bit. Maybe that's just cause he's that likable in it, but, um, but then you all, but you can't enjoy it for very long once you realize really what he what he's made his career off of his character. You know? Even though she ends up staging an elaborate elaborate plot to ruin her husband's life, to then make him take the fall for her supposed murder, and then things go terribly wrong, and she ends up killing another man, and then coming back and capitalizing off all of it. At the end of the day. If Ben Affleck wasn't a shitbird, it probably never would have happened. So, I mean, yeah. it's not like he was, uh, you know, like a really terrible like uh, like wife beater. Nah, he cheated um, on her though. She knew about it. I mean, he was. He was that's true. It's true. Yeah, he's he definitely wasn't uh, a saint. Um, well, as far as like he he had he had her move back to his his shitty ass small town. Um, and uh, immediately, as soon as they got back there, immediately just started like going out with his buddies and um, not even inviting her and uh, just kind of like kept her captive at the house. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's just how it portrayed through her eyes. But I mean, that's a thing. You know, he was definitely taking her for granted. Yeah, I think it, it was more of an aloofness rather than something that uh, was coming out of any sort of vindictiveness. Sure. Um, and that's fair. Uh, it was just an interesting, um, I mean, yeah, clearly I wasn't on either side. There were both, you know, horrible people that deserved each other. Um, yeah. well, I'm on but, her side. Anybody's keeping score. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I think, I mean, she definitely goes completely nuclear where at the end, like, you know, cause up to a certain point you're like, Oh man, he, he obviously did something. Um, cause he's acting weird. He's just really weird about this. And, but then like, it's really hard to root for her. You know, like it's true. I, I it's don't true. root for her at all. Um, and I don't know if it's I, the I really don't want to do it in a male female perspective, but mm -hmm. I don't think anyone really deserves what she put him through. <laughs> yeah. You know, no. probably I, not. I, probably not in real life, but in a movie, he, it, he, it actually he agreed. Yeah, he, agree. he, he deserves like a level, like a step down from what he gets put through. Uh yeah, he deserves some kind of comeuppance, but yeah, she takes it all the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's like a, it's like the smartest lifetime movie ever made. Yeah, it's yes, it's good there's though. definitely there's a lifetime vibe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Um, so as far as the soundtrack goes, oh, hold on. Oh my! Uh, I was going to say there is a glimpse of uh, Ben Affleck's hog uh, as he's getting in the shower. I don't know if you guys <laughs> oh, caught a little, that. Uh, a, a, a little uh, 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 fuck. What was that movie? Get, get, uh, what was the movie with Kevin Bacon? Wild Things. Uh, wild, wild Things. things. Wild, wild Things. Yeah. Action. Oh yeah. 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 Um, oh yeah. No, a few things in this movie though I really wanted to point out that I liked as far as like this movie is the pinnacle of Fincher being able to make the mundane look great. Um there are shots of just people talking where the camera moves off screen and back on screen that are amazing. Um for example, there's a couple of conversations where it's Ben Affleck, uh the detective and that cop that's always with her that hates him where the camera kind of like moves to the end of the room. And as the conversation comes back into focus, it drifts back into the room. It's really, I don't know how to explain it. It's great. I love uh, that stuff. Yeah. There's a shot, just the shots of the cat that are awesome. Just like the cat has reaction shots. If you pay attention for them, um, Ben Affleck's cat. Uh, it, it's, it's great. Uh, he, he's a, uh, Dave Fincher just makes the mundane look awesome. And I, I feel like it's necessary to bring that up often. Um, yeah. Another thing about this movie that, it brings up uh, adults playing board games and the board games made for adults. And I, I have to just, I just want to go on record that I hate that whole scene. Um, board games that are overly elaborate for adults to play, which is kind of a whole point of this movie where she makes the game with all the clues. Angers oh yeah. I, I get angry at, <laughs> at, at any kind of game where adults <laughs> think they're being fucking masterminds now uh, now hold on now, did hold you on. like the david fincher movie the game <laughs> i did actually that's a, that's a great that's a great movie i wish Trent Reznor would go back and rescore it um yeah but yeah, it's just, yeah. Uh, board yeah, games no. are board games are there's nothing wrong with an adult playing board games mr yeah, yeah, not, eric eric i'm not saying i'm not <laughs> i'm not just besmirching your pastime right but let me let me give you an example uh remember the big yellow house that we all enjoyed the three of us with my the uh, wife and yeah. all our friends yeah well we tried to recapture that magic when uh, another friend of ours got married um let's just call him uh fuck who was that i can't remember i think it was trent um it was trent and all the trent's buzzy uh that's not trent Reznor. it's a trent that we know uh they all are into the like elaborate modern new adult board games i don't know what else to call them but they have these rules that where you're sitting down and as you're being told the rules, everyone says, don't worry, it's going to make sense as it goes along. And it never makes sense. And <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's just, it takes all the fun out of it. And I was reminded of that when Ben Affleck's talking to his uh, sister about board games. So, and yeah. then the whole, the clues and just, it's too much. But, uh, yeah. what were we going to talk about the music of this movie? We like this. Yeah. Movie. So we all, we all agree. We enjoyed this movie. It's worth yeah. a watch. Um, overall, I want to open up as we begin to discuss the music. Um, my opening statement is this is the one that's most informed by Twin Peaks. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he, uh, Trent and Atticus, uh, together and a cast of, uh, 40 plus musicians in an orchestra recorded this. Um, but Mike Garson, uh, who is our bridge between Nine Nails and David Bowie, we talk about him often. He plays piano and guitar on this album. 
which is cool. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, uh, and it's uh, mixed by Alan Mulder. And Alan Mulder actually mixed all of these. So oh, yes. he's definitely yeah. still. We don't, we don't talk about Alan Mulder enough in this podcast. We've discussed in the yeah. past. He's the uh, he's the George Martin of Nine Snails. Yeah, and he's been he's been uh, yeah he's been there at least since what uh, Broken or Downward Spiral, something like that. Might be Downward but, Spiral. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we should know that. Uh, at having talked about these goddamn albums for almost a year and six months now, we should know that. But let's say uh, let's say Broken for kicks. Right. Uh, Rob Sheridan did the artwork. Um, I this might be the last time they worked together, or is this this is deep in How to Destroy Angels territory. But I, th- or a couple years after, no, no, a couple years after. So, um, was this the last time they worked together? Maybe we'll see. But yeah, this was, but Rob did Sheridan. we, did we bring up on the, we haven't brought up on the show. Uh, Rob Sheridan's making comic books now. Yep. He's, yep, uh, he's he got is. a comic coming out for it. Does it, is it, was it Vertigo? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Vertigo. Yeah. And he's, so. <laughs> I didn't realize this. I just texted my friend who owns a comic book shop in Tacoma, Washington, where I used to live. And apparently Rob, Sheridan lives. Yeah. Apparently, he lives there because he just posted on Twitter that he was at the barcade that I used to go to. So that's kind of funny. Um, anyways, the only other kind of curio from this album. Eric, is, Eric, can I? I'm sorry, Eric. Can I yeah, interrupt you again? Yeah. It looks like it started with a downward spiral as far as Alan Mulder goes. All right, keep going. Oh, good. Good, good. Okay. The only other curio is that there were two outtakes. Um, from this recording session, abandoned sets and escape attempt. I can't find those anywhere, um, but apparently escape attempt got tweaked, cut and cut and or uh, uh, screwed and chopped and turned into the song Inquiries on the Patriots Day soundtrack. But uh, abandoned sets, I can't I can't find it anywhere. But there's two unreleased songs somewhere out there. Um. And that's what I got for the background on this album. Well, uh, the one we... other thing that I could uh, mention uh, real fast is uh, when David Fincher apparently went to a spa, um, he heard like this tranquil music that had an undertones of um, the sense of dread. And this is kind of what he asked Trent Reznor to do. That's, for this. that's exactly, that's exactly yeah. why I say it reminds me a lot of Twin Peaks. Yep. There's, a, there's a lot of soft synths. <laughs> A lot of soft sense with howling in the background. Yeah. And, um, mm-hmm. I, and I would say yeah, that comparing this to the last soundtrack, Girl with Dragon Tattoo, um, I would say it has a like a fuller sound. But, it's warmer. Um, it's but, definitely yeah, warmer. Yeah, like you said, softer. I think that, yeah, warmer. Um, but it doesn't have as many like driving, attention-grabbing songs at all. In fact, there's only like one or two on here. No, I think, it, I think it... it, 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 it uh, it sets. It, how do I put this? Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. A lot of the music drives, or or, or if you, it feels like it's driving the action. Um, Gone Girl, the action's taking place or the conversations, and the music kind of envelopes it, but it's not pushing anything along, uh, for the most part. Um, like like for example. I'd agree with that totally. Yeah. A lot a lot of the the opening mono. There's a lot of monologues in Gone Girl. And a lot of the opening monologues in Gone Girl and the closing monologues have a similar song to each of them. And it's it's very lush sense that just kind of like, uh, I don't know how to put this. They, they, they make a place for the words to fucking fall and lay on top of. But 
they're not making the action on the screen have it like they're not changing anything. They're they're being uh, they're being reactive. They're not proactive to what you're watching. Right. Yep. Yeah, that's true. But it, it is. I think it's my favorite soundtrack out of all of them. It, it reminds me a lot of Twin <clears throat> Peaks for that very same reason. Um, just a lot of you know uh, dramatic things happening with uh, just la- la- layers of a. Uh, synth pads that are 20 years younger than uh, or older than I am. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, and there were definitely some synths in there, but yeah, for the, for the first time he's got a full orchestra horns. That's funny. funny You mentioned the reasons I like it a lot are not because of a full orchestra. That doesn't mean that it's not there. Right. Uh, Well, that's what it's kind of cool about how he uses it too, is like, like they are there to complement those like ambient tones, not to, you know, not to yeah the, the exactly they're not like the forefront which is really a cool yeah, way just, to use it it's just very the whole thing overall is very much uh ether, very ethereal that's what i like about it yeah um besides uh, uh the, the the i i need to mention also that uh there's a robot robot dog that's mentioned often. robot <laughs> robot yeah. dog. uh the robot dog and uh eric uh do you have any standout tracks that you wanted to get into Standout tracks? Yeah. Okay, so I like... I do like the first... I think it's the first song, Sugar Storm. Obviously, I remember one. that. And also, the, 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 the scene it references visually is awesome. Um, I, I don't know if you remember that, but there's she talks about seeing Ben Affleck and the uh, woman he's having an affair with in a, a sugar storm, which is just it's the snow kissing each yeah, other. Right. And she witnesses it. Oh, and the way, right. that Fincher, yeah, the way, yeah, the way, the way they, that Fincher, the way that Fincher films that uh, that snowstorm is great. So sugar storm. All right. actually like a sugar loading loading dock oh i see what you mean the two different scenes yeah because because the, the one they had was like they were in a loading dock which is funny because that's a artificial you know it's artificial snowstorm um, but anyways it's very wistful and it's like a memory of the relationship at the beginning before anything went wrong um and i just think it's a just a really pretty but also like you know that it's that it doesn't have a happy ending so i like that one a lot um i like what i consider like the really only driving song on the soundtrack is technically missing which mm-hmm. is obviously yeah. the one that that plays under her right when it hits driving that, yeah right when it hits that two-thirds point and she's driving and she's talking about her plot and it all comes together that song it goes it goes almost seven minutes long amazing baseline that drives that whole thing as the strings yeah. guitar kind of play off each other. Um, I took actually, I took some notes on that one. Um, that baseline like grabs you and just tells you you're in for a ride. That's good. Exactly. Yeah.
I think they included that in their uh, as they were touring for Cold and Black and Infinite Tour. Um, they had that in between sets music on that playlist oh, that okay. they uploaded. Yeah, yeah that 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 baseline's great. That that one's a triumph of layering. It's just the layers are great. It's got the whoosh builds, if you will. Um, yeah, yeah that's, that's a good one. I like that one a lot. Um, and uh, I, I'm just gonna mention it. It's not. Uh, the song isn't in, in my top or anything, but at the, the last track at risk is actually two songs. It has a secret song, <laughs> maybe the last secret song ever made, <laughs> but uh, at risk is, is fine. It's just like a really quiet kind of thing. And then the song consummation reprise comes in at the nine minute, 25 second mark yep. of that song. And um, it, that song that could be played next opinion in one of their live openers, because it's just like a big driving noise drone. And it's that, short, that- that it's song, cool. I I know it's lazy to keep going back to Twin Peaks, but that hidden song reminds me of that damn glass box from The Return. Like, I made a note of that. That's, oh, uh, yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. It's something. It's, it's There's a sense of, again, like, we keep saying dread, but that's, you know, like the way The Fragile ends with that that, that sense of dread that's there. That's, that's you know, that's what they're, they excel at. Right. Um, my my Some of my tracks on this one that really got me was a procedural um oh yeah that's kinda, online yeah yeah i kind of i'm not just mentioning it because the uh, poor man's uh david hyde pierce is on here doogie hauser but uh <laughs> it starts out with like doogie hauser type i don't know if you guys remember the doogie hauser theme song but i do it, it like, sounded like an 8-bit modem starting exactly. up like, this is the new frontier <laughs> some like chime keyboards on it and some weird sliding guitar whale it's uh it's good I did. I did write that down too. I wonder if that was uh, that was Garson's guitar work on there. It might yeah. be. Yeah. And another song off the album that I really liked was "Like Home."
it's just a it's 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 just a Ben Affleck being sad scene. Um but they do it very well. Yeah. Uh you know, that's uh, just uh it, it's it's got those soft synths that I was talking about. It's very mournful. But it just paints a picture of a guy being very sad not knowing what to do even leaves a shitbird. So Black Holmes is a good right. one. Right. What I what I wrote down there was it, it has it starts with almost like a warm place vibe to it. Um yep. But then, yeah, towards the end, the noise starts swelling, and then you actually get uh, the orchestra horns uh, at more of the forefront on this song than any other song on here. Um, yeah, it's a cool one. Well, that's all I've got to say in Gone Girl. Uh, before we move on, Mark, you got any final thoughts? Um, yeah, there was two outtakes um, on the score that were not included on the CD or the... Uh, uh, digital version. Yeah, one I, I, talked, I talked about those. Oh, did you? The abandoned sets? <laughs> yes. And then, oh, I didn't catch that. Sorry about that. And I, yeah. I spent like three minutes on it. That's fine. Oh, I, and then Escape I, Attempt, you said that it was on Patriots Day? Yeah. What are you playing? Like, are you playing Game Boy over there, buddy? Uh, I must have been doing some research on the next bit uh, that we're going to be doing. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I just want to make sure that did get covered. Yeah. Um, Listen, but listen. Uh, final thoughts, uh, I would oh, say yeah. that, you know, this being a, a full piece orchestra was kind of interesting. Um, it's not as engaging for me. Uh, I remember as I was lo- uh, listening through the score, I was doing a lot of, um, you know, kind of cleaning up the house, that kind of thing with headphones on. Um, nothing really grabbed me as a whole, but uh, it fits for the film. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily, uh, it doesn't uh drop any imagery for me when i'm just listening to it isolated it's just more um it works much better with the film it's not an iconic but uh i would yeah. say that you guys are completely accurate when you say that uh sugar storm and technically missing being the two one of the two of the standout tracks because those are the two that um well sugar storm kind of keeps coming back up in different motifs it seems um yeah and uh but yeah, um, technically missing is it's it feels like a fully fleshed uh, song that could fit on a Nine Inch Nails record. Yeah, I I, I agree it's that it's got the... the it's got the least amount of engagement on this one, but it it overall like you're not gonna put it on every day. But if you're like reading something or yeah cleaning or like it's got a background, just kind of it's just it it's it at at both times is very comforting. And very terrifying at the same time, which is uh, which is hard to do. Um, so I think it's an achievement in that respect. But yeah, it's 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 probably it's got it's some of the least engaging of it all. But that's kind of the point. As Steve said, this movie is completely dialogue driven. You're not going to have, yeah. uh, you know, you're not going to have the uh, uh, some of those big old guitar like quake riffs uh, in this movie. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, as we go further down uh, talking about the scores, you know, I've kind of have an overall uh, opinion about them. Um, he certainly, they certainly have a style to them. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, when we talk about one of the later uh, film scores, um, even um, from an outsider's perspective, they can pick it up like, is this a Trent Reznor score? Um, yeah. So we'll talk about that a little bit later, but yeah, that's, we can move on to the next piece if you'd like. Yeah. But before we do move on though, as we, 
as what you you know, building off what you just said, Mark, about like people can pick up is this a Trent Reznor score? And even some of the song titles, like A Thousand Details and uh what's that one I always like off social network I mess up, intriguing possibilities, endless possibilities. Yeah, that's it. That's the one. Uh that they, they all seem to have like a, a certain feel to them that can only exist on the second half of the uh, nine snails existence. Like yeah. the tone and the, the, uh, the, the, I don't know, the, the place that some of these songs come from, or even just like look like on paper could never have existed back when, uh, he was a little bit more, I don't know, unhinged. Like there's a, there's some, like there's like a clinical thoughtfulness to the way some of this stuff comes together that, uh, couldn't have existed in the first half of the Nine Inch Nails existence, I think. It's true. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. So anyhow, as we uh, we get away from Gone Girl, we're going to go into Patriots Day. And mm-hmm. uh, let's, uh, let's listen to a little of something off Patriots Day. Here we go. So Patriots Day or uh, came out in 2017. <laughs> yeah. And uh, or or as uh, I like to call it way better than I expected. But uh, yep. that's so, what I said. I know Yeah, I, you were right. <sighs> uh, it looks like jingoistic nonsense, but I think that uh, they approach the subject matter about as it could be a little less heavy handed, but it, it definitely wasn't as um. I don't know. Have you guys watched any of the post nine eleven movies about nine eleven action things? Um, like World Trade Center and things oh, like God. that. Yes, exactly. Or uh, no, like, I never saw that one. No. They, they or Passenger ninety three or yeah. or Flight ninety three. Flight ninety three was all right. I was okay with that one because it was Paul Greengrass and he did it in more of like a handheld I fashion. Still feel like you over the head a little bit. I don't know. I get but, it. Uh, like we're gonna do this, guys. We're gonna we gotta just yeah. pull together. And I, I understand that. Um, I mean, no, none, of, but, none of these are as bad as that Clint Eastwood movie where he actually had the people involved in that train uh, situation in France. What was that? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, something, something to something. Uh, yeah. It, it was like uh, a yes. three. It's like three. It's like three ten to Yuma, but except for like, you know, where were they? Where, were they in France or something? What was that story? And he involved a, the real people involved. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that, that one looked uh, icky. Um, My point is, is that Peter Berg with Mark Wahlberg, Mark Wahlberg, who's in Shooter. Uh, what's that one movie uh, about? Oh, the one uh, about the fucking oil, oil thing. Yeah. Deepwater Horizon and um, uh, There's that Last Soldier. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Now, listen. Oh, oh not, uh, something Survivor, Last Survivor. Survivor. That's it. Yeah. Lone Survivor. By, by, yeah. by no way am I besmirching people that actually go and like put themselves in harm's way to protect the country because I don't do it. 
But right. the way some of this stuff is presented can be presented in a light to where you're just like, all right, you're almost borderline propaganda. Patriots Day wasn't that. I really don't think it was. It uh, no. It turned out a lot better than I expected. Uh, Peter Berg, uh, I mean, he made the movie version of Friday Night Lights, which I really enjoy. He also made Battleship. Um, <laughs> I don't know where I don't know where really. We're and he, yeah, I mean, he's done all the all the patriotic uh, Mark Wahlberg movies, and like Mark Wahlberg's problematic in himself. Uh, <laughs> that which... diet plan is problematic in itself. The, the workout regimen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, just praise just, for like 90 minutes a day, according to him. Right. Pray. Yeah. Praise 90 minutes a day. I don't know. Yeah. He's, uh, it's hard. It's hard for, at this point, you know, talk to me back in Boogie Nights days. I would have told you he was a great actor, but it's hard for me to sign off on a Mark Wahlberg piece. Well, he always, point. he always just plays like a dipshit, you know, uh, a meat, a meathead who just wants to take a bullet for George Washington. That's him. <laughs> And God damn, God damn it. They had this fucking biggest gimmick to also make him be on the ground floor when the bomb went off, but also part of the investigation because he was, you know, whatever, being yeah, like reprimanded. They, they, tried so, have, they tried to have their cake and eat it too. In this <laughs> that was r- ridiculous. I don't know. I, I, I had some problems with this movie, but I think you're right. It wasn't as, it wasn't as uh, flag waving as it could have been. Um, there was a little bit of it, but it wasn't, it wasn't as bad. The cast was really, really good except for Mark Wahlberg. There yeah. were slightly empathetic to the to the two brothers, slightly um, in, a, in a you know in a good way. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's there. There's some great moments and some uh, some moments where I was checking my watch, but yeah. Well, up until up until a few weeks ago, this was the most mainstream of these movies, and then they released Bird Box straight to Netflix, which was uh, tells you all you need to know about that. But. Um, I would I say that Girl it. with a Dragon Tattoo at the time was very mainstream. At the time, it was it was like a top ten book. It was oh, no, super. Yeah, yeah. But no, if you compare all these together, a movie about the Boston Marathon bombing is about as mainstream as you can get in America. That's true. That's true. Especially, yeah, that's true. Especially Boston. Fucking Boston. This movie yeah. is so Boston. It's just right. Boston. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, it, you've made your thoughts on Boston uh, people very I mean, clear on earlier episodes. Of I've, the show. Made, I've made <laughs> I've made them very clear in how utterly exhausting and boring it is, and like there's nothing left to be said about yes, Boston. At a certain point, Boston took the, uh, you know, for a long time, New York claimed to be the heart of America, and that's when you when you hit New York, you're you know attacking us all. Boston decided to be that part of the country. And it's just exhausting to me. And it has a lot to do with those goddamn sports teams they have, which are also annoying, but whatever. <laughs> uh, but I still like this movie quite a bit. Uh, yeah. Uh, Mark, how do you feel about the movie in general? Uh, when I first saw it, um, so I, I watched it uh, because I knew that Trent Reznor, if I had known that Trent Reznor had nothing and Atticus Ross were not the going to be doing the score for this. I probably wouldn't have checked it out because like you said, I've never seen Lone Survivor. I've never seen some of those other movies. I'm not a huge fan of Peter Berg. I've watched maybe very bad things. The best um, thing so he's th- ever been involved in was the great white hype. He didn't direct it, but uh, everybody should watch it. And he was just an actor in that one. He didn't direct it. Yeah, he was, he was the boxer, but yeah. 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 Um, he's kind of, when, when he acts, he's kind of a poor man's Bill Paxton. May he rest in peace. 
Totally. That is a really good characterization. Um, but I watched it with low expectations. Um, you know, uh, Mark Wahlberg got to bust out his, you know, Boston roots and, uh, you know, I was just in for kind of this jingoistic, like America, you know, we rally behind times of tragedy and, and loss. And, uh, you do get a little bit of that in this Boston strong type story. Um, but the cast was really good. JK Simmons showing up and, you know, having a small little role was fun to watch. Right. Kevin um, Bacon. John Goodman, yeah. Kevin Bacon was great. Uh, John Some Goodman people, was great. One person that I didn't even like the guy that plays the, um, uh, forgive me. I don't, uh, is he Chinese? That actor? That oh, the guy from oh, that's uh, on Silicon Sil- Valley. Yeah. 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 Silicon Valley. Yeah. I he really was great. I thought, I thought he was good in it. Um, yeah, a lot of the bit parts were good. And if you want to get back to um, John Goodman, John Goodman got John Goodman, friend of the show. Um, he, <laughs> he, he looks he, his weight has fluctuated in the last like decade. Yeah. And in this case, the way his skin sags, he looks like the personification of a this is a good movie for it. Uh, uh, Sam Eagle from the Muppets. You, oh yeah, his because his eyebrows are dark. Yeah, they're, like they're the a line, different the, color. Yeah, the lines by his mouth, he looks like Sam Eagle. Uh, you know, did always you, frowning. Did you yeah. notice on the uh, during the end credits, the guy that the real life guy he's portraying has the same eyebrows, like the weird eyebrows, like yeah. the dark. So he did that on. Yeah, he did, that was very on purpose. I was hoping yeah. that wasn't his new look. Yeah, his his uh, his accent comes and goes too. Uh, there's yeah. times where it's not there, and then there's times where he's like, "Oh fuck you, get over here, Mark." It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's good though. Um, uh, John Goodman's an American treasure. He's oh, an no, American treasure. But actually, John Goodman apparently owns the uh, the house that what was it? Uh, Downward Spot? No, uh, Maryland. That Trent Reznor. Um, nothing owned Studios. And, no, yeah. yeah, Nothing Studios. The old Nothing yeah. Studios. Yeah, he owns that house according to lore. Or yeah, not his, not the studio. I think the studio turned into something else, but like oh, the house, that, right, right. like Trent yeah. Reznor's home. Um, something related to, to New Orleans, John Goodman bought from Trent Reznor. Was it a, yeah. right. know, a direct sale? We don't know, but we hope it is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But no, he, he, the cast was great. Keep going, Mark. Sorry. Um, but what I was going to say, like, um, it was very surprising that when I saw that this score was coming out, I saw on Apple Music and uh, that Trent Reznor was because I wasn't really up on Pitchfork Media and them announcing that they were going to be doing the score. Um, but uh, watched the movie, listened to the score, forgot about the score I, two seconds after I listened to it. Um, then I watched the movie when we were preparing for this, and um, I really got uh, pretty involved in it in the sense that uh, there was parts where I got choked up. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's being a, a father now. Um, and when that uh, police officer is standing over that that uh, that little boy that was, you know, uh, that's uh, one yeah, of the victims. It's it very hard. it's very tough to deal with, but also at the same time, I agree with you, Mark. But at the same time, I made a note that that's where like Mark Wahlberg's arguing with the FBI or something. He's like, "No, nah, fuck that FBI yeah. telling me what to do with the eight year old." It's just so, yeah, it's yeah. There's a, this right. movie is this movie's laden with cliches. But every time a cliche would happen, like cops versus the FBI over whose jurisdiction it is, it was so over the top. I still, it made me enjoy it. Um, 
Oh, I thought this was a great movie. This is just a good movie. This movie, everybody could enjoy this movie if they don't try to like look to it to be something right. any more than it is. Right. Right. I mean, the whole thing, what you just uh, brought up about, um, I, I think it is kind of entertaining a little bit that always has to be the local hero that saves the day um, in these types, types of things. Um, and, you know, the FBI is just so full of bureaucracy and suits that they don't know what it's really like to be on the ground floor kind of attitude. Um, because that's certainly that, uh, that conflict that you're talking about with the FBI coming in and, um, the argument between should we release the photos to the media? And then it was probably released by, you know, someone from the local PD and things like that in order to just keep, uh, get Boston out there, you know, let Boston bring these guys in. That's um, right. So, <laughs> you know, uh, what, so what, I, I, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry, but no, 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 go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was going to say a couple things that it did remind me of, uh, like I really enjoyed watching it and taking notes on it. Um, one thing that it showed one person had a photo of John F. Kennedy in their house and it made, mm-hmm. me, it made me miss my photo of John F. Kennedy. That I stole from Mel's in Roseville. Oh um, yeah, we had that? that in our bathroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, so like, yeah. I st- when Mark and I went to Mel's every night, that's when I stole it. And then, uh, yeah, that, that was that was in uh, many bathrooms until it wasn't. So I don't, I don't know what happened to that. Mm. Uh, did you take it to San Francisco with you? It did last in San Francisco for a while. Even when I lived, actually, you know what? Maybe I left it at uh, when I lived with that guy named Boston Tim. Maybe I left it there. Oh well, that makes there sense. You go. Yeah, that might be it. So yeah. that, that was nice seeing the photo of JFK. But uh, also, <laughs> usually, like, listen, I'm, I hate the fucking Red Sox. I really do. But I actually like that they chose to end the movie with the whole David Ortiz moment. I actually yeah, thought me that too. was well done. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, I was, you don't, I thought it was ridiculous. I think, yeah. I, think, I think Mark and I are coming from a different spot than you are as people that don't <laughs> too much baseball. Um, so I remember, um, when that happened, I was still working at my old job and one of the, uh, other guys that I was working with, who's also a big baseball fan, he's a Yankees fan. He comes from New York and, um, you know, he doesn't, he, it's the love of the game, but he told me about that. Like, uh, he thought it was an amazing moment. And so I never really actually looked it up. And I know that was just a recreation. That wasn't actually the footage. I don't think, um, but I thought it was a cool little moment that like, you know, this is our fucking city. I have to admit. And then anytime now there's a tragedy, um, it's everything like insert name of city here and then insert the word strong. Yeah. Uh, during the campfire, obviously is a horrible event up here. Uh, you know, it's Butte strong and it's always like Orlando strong or it just, it's an interesting, uh, I don't know that we're having to continue to use this, it's the first time you see that that whole yeah. city standing strong kind of thing to get you through the tragedy. I just wish that we would maybe go to something more original. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I hate we'll to sound you, callous. We'll, we'll let you think that up in the tragedy marketing department. Um, How do you guys feel about the portrayal of the, uh, I guess, terrorists, for lack of a better term, in this? Yeah, I was saying, like, I, I thought I, it was a little... I thought it was empathetic in a, in a, to a certain degree, where, like, one kid... One brother was clearly more radicalized than the other. Um, but, uh, and then slowly, you know, bringing his brother into, you know, into the, 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 the what they're doing. Um, 
they, there's moments where you feel you feel for you know one of the brothers at least a little bit um they could have gone more into that i think that was more i honestly as always like usually the most interesting if you're looking at something strictly from a story point of view from my opinion usually the most interesting thing is looking into looking into motive and looking into the villains so to speak or the you know those characters they i think they could have gone more into it but what they did it wasn't just i don't think there was anything like racist or stereotypical about the way they were portrayed which i think is a good choice obviously so yeah no i thought i thought that they, they didn't go as deep as they could with what's driving them but i think they definitely showed how the uh, the younger brother how he could have gotten warped the way he did and become so callous and right. um yeah. 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 I mean, um, I remember when 24 was the show, 24 was at the height of its powers and there started to come out like with criticism about the fact that it was painting Muslims and Middle Easterns as always the, uh, the boogeyman. Um, in this case it's based on true events. Um, and you know, in this case they were both Muslim. Um, but when you do these types of movies you really want to avoid probably um kind of painting with gray lines rather than just everything being in black and white right um, yeah. of course i'm never going to sympathize with those types of acts i think they deserved what they got in the end um but i i would caution anyone to watch these films and just be like well that's all muslims um well, even, right. even, someone i get go ahead even in the movie, Kevin Bacon says, don't release the pictures before we know what's going on because we don't want, like, they kind of bring up, they don't want, you know, they don't want hate crimes to the Muslim community. Yeah, that shit that would happen in, like, yeah, that yeah. shit that happened in, like, New York, you know, with all the, yeah, they, they, like, they it was like a rash of, it was like let's three days of. Let's do our homework yeah. first before these people, before we get people act out, so. Yeah, definitely. They, you know, I mean. Still definitely. Of course, the guys that did this were from a certain sect, but they, they they try to paint where they're coming from. And also, I thought there's a very intense scene, which is a interrogation between someone from some level of the government and the wife of one of yeah. the uh, terrorists. Yeah, and she yeah. tries to explain where she comes from in the whole scenario. And I thought it was it, it was it didn't try to make them you know no one would walk away from it saying oh I get it but uh. It, it, it tried to make it. No, I mean, um, that's a good scene. Right. That, that was a pretty cool scene. Um, and it kind of made me angry that, you know, in real life, nothing really came of that. You know, um, yeah. she was complicit in the whole attack and they couldn't really charge her with anything. Um, but I, I'm recently going through the American Film Institute's um, uh, top 100 list. Uh, the 2007, I was inspired by another podcast. Uh, obviously, yeah. Unspooled is doing that right now. And uh, this morning, I'd finished watching Schindler's List. It's a, definitely a movie that's you know hard to get through. Um, but it's kind of scary in the terms of how things precipitated in Germany about the fear and the blaming uh, for their society's problems on the Jewish uh, people. And like, I feel that if we don't be careful, uh, obviously there's militant um, and radical Islamists out there, 
Um, but I just always get concerned as, you know, Trump does the Muslim ban and, um, you know, I just don't want to ever get to the point where, you know, a small group of bad individuals can ruin lives for the majority. And then all of a sudden America turns its, you know, it, I don't, I hope you kind of get what I'm saying. Oh yeah, no, of course. Yeah. 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 That's why I didn't want to empathize with these guys because I know that in their mind it was all justified. Um, because you know, America has done, uh, wrong to their, to their faith. And this was their way to reciprocate, but I would not sympathize because it's still a terrorist act. You can't meet violence with violence. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's more what I said where, you know, you could kind of see like these, these kids were kids at some point. Right. And then you can, they, they do it very subtly in the movie and maybe it was just lack of writing or maybe they did that intentionally, but you can kind of see, you know, how that they kind of changed a little bit, you know, or you can assume that that they kind of changed um, once the older brother kind of got into that, that more hardcore. Uh, but yeah. yeah, you bring up a good point. Yep. America is in a pretty scary place right now where fear is like uh, being used as a, a weapon against the masses. Like uh, nothing I've ever seen in my lifetime. It's fucking terrifying. So I think when you're talking about movies, I think, you know, yeah, this was, this was true. But when you look at shows, you know, 24, I know Homeland caught some heat for it, even though I, I like that show really well. Uh, yeah, me too. I yeah, mean, the yeah. first couple of seasons are strong. It's, yeah. it's starting to kind of go on the downslide. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, but the, uh, you know, representation is important. And, you know, for every movie that comes out that has a Muslim terrorist, there should be 15 movies that have, you know, positive, productive, you know, kind-hearted Muslims in them, you know. That, that the representation is super important for that. That's that's that is absolutely true. So yeah, definitely got to be careful. But anyways, uh, want to talk about the soundtrack? Yeah, let's do it. any fucking information on the making of the soundtrack nothing i couldn't find anything online they made it i'm pretty sure it's just uh atticus and trent i'm pretty sure that's all, right, all so that's all, just, that's yeah, all it's considered a a Reznor and ross joint um right uh mark did you have any standout tracks on this bad boy i mean not really the whole thing uh the whole movie is very propulsive you can know, i just want to act yeah, actually, ahead, I yeah. just found some. I just found some notes, guys. Um, one of the things Trent Reznor said, in specifically, was that they wanted to do this movie because it was kind of unfamiliar territory for them. Um, they felt like they were coloring, okay. to quote, outside the lines a little bit of what was expected from them. So that's good because, like, when this, when I heard they were doing this, I was like, really? Okay. So uh, yeah. <laughs> they yeah. kind of they approached it from from that, and I think you kind of hear that. Um, it definitely sounds yeah. like them. 
but it's a little bit more actiony, a little bit more. I think Mark, you were just about to say propulsive, maybe. Yeah. Um, keep going, Mark. I cut you off, but now I'm giving it back to you. Um. It, but it not so much like of, you know, your typical type of Hans Zimmer Pirates of the Caribbean kind of like everything is just you know action scenes. Um, apparently, Trent Reznor, you know, uh, and Atticus Ross gave Peter Berg some music, and he kept uh, changing scenes around and adding new scenes and deleting old scenes. So it was he determined it was a little frustrating in that sense um, to uh, um, have to change gears so quickly. So he just started making, they started making music um, that was a little more thematic and that Peter Berg and his editors could chop it up in the way that he wanted to. Um, but I mean, I, I can't really recall money standout tracks. I mean, as a whole, it's just like, that's pretty good. Again, fits better when you're looking at the moving images rather than driving around in the car. It just kind of fades into the background um, as, you know, non iconic scores tend to do. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I really don't have really anything. I would say I have for sure two iconic songs on here that I released that I would say like, okay, these are, these are like top notch Atticus and Trent songs um the night drive which is like a big long 12 minute song um but i and mean that, i re- what, what part I of just, that from? that's the that, that's got to be when they get they get the car from the from the guy from the kid from hijack, the silicon valley yeah, right they, they hijack yeah. the car from him yeah yeah and this one's just it's a really good song it's got a I lot got, of those got, as you really, were by the way during that whole like part of the movie i got yeah. very upset the uh they shot that policeman at the college right yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah, uh, yeah absolutely but yeah that's right. around where that song's used And that was the, that was a pretty intense part. I think that's probably my favorite um, stretch of that movie. And um, the song was used really well. It's got that Miami Vice synths, um, and uh, yeah, everything just builds on itself for like twelve fucking minutes. And it's it's uh, I like it. I think it's a good one. Um, and then I I think Broken Glass is clearly like the aftermath of the the uh, bomb going off. The song itself doesn't have like any like melody that you're gonna remember or anything like that. It's got some cool synths, but it they do do this like thing with the feedback and the noise that sounds like your eardrums just popped and like that kind of like, like internal head drone that you, that yeah, you might, you know, that, you that, that song sounded cool. to me like it belonged in the second half of the slip, I think. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's good. 
Uh, I did write down two. Oh, sorry. Go on. No, I was just going to say, I was. No, no, I'm going, Eric. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) The broken glass, it keeps kind of building. You're right. And then it, it ends, though, with like an empty that. You remember when we were talking about the slip, how some songs sounded like they end with a, there's a warehouse in the distance with someone just banging on an out of tune piano. That's kind of how uh, broken glass ends up, which I appreciate. Yep. What were you going to yep. say? I was going to say the only other song I, of note I wrote down was uh terminus. Uh, had, it's very, it's a short song. It's like two minutes and some, uh, almost three minutes. Um, and it's just like, uh, it's the most industrial song on here as far as just like a noisy synth that just kind of repetitively builds. Um, anyways, those are my, those are my three noteworthy ones off this sound, the score. Well, a few things I'll say about the music on the score is that, uh, one thing they do in the beginning of the movie, which is something they're actually very good at, which I also noticed in gone girl and actually maybe in bird box was that they write really good music for, uh, the dawn, like a day starting, but they, in Patriot's day, they definitely, there's some shot, like, you know, the, the early shots of, Oh, it's introducing you to the people that will be affected later on on the day that, that run, you know, they're going to the store and they're buying, uh, you know, the newspaper for the day or calling their parents. Reznor and Ross really know how to write music. That sounds like daybreak is the perfect time to listen to it. And, uh, right. Sun, some of that sunrise, good stuff. Yeah. yeah. There's some of that good stuff in this one. Um, a, the song called escape. I don't know if you noticed that one at all. Uh, yep. I really liked it. It's kind of part two of the night drive scene. Also, it yeah. reminds me. Of, uh, it reminds me of a band we brought up on here before. We called How Job, which, uh, which, which was a synthy industrial band. And the more I think about them, the more that I think that this podcast had this weird side effect where Eric became a fucking rivet head again. Uh, I think you should try to look into How Job again, Eric. You might actually really yeah. like them. And oh I yeah, happily. Song, Escape might be a, a good bridge to their sound for you. All right. Um, and also a resolve, which is I think it's the last song in the soundtrack, and it might be the last song in the movie. And that's the song that plays during the David Ortiz scene, and it's just uh, it's got some plucking and some layers on it that I like. Um, uh, I don't know; it definitely tells you it's the end of the film. It builds that has that kind of emotion that you're expecting, but uh, it might even have some banjos. I don't know. It's good. Resolve is a good track. So it is, it is, listeners, 1041 on a Sunday night. I work at uh, 8 a.m. Eric works at 5. That's not a problem. Mark has a day off tomorrow. But Well, sort of. He, he's got to be editing. He's got to be editing past episodes tomorrow. But yeah, yeah, he does have a day off. Quit, <laughs> quit putting pressure on Mark. 
Um, but here, here's my point is that I've got shit I got to do tomorrow. It's the new year. I should be trying to be healthier. Before I talk about this movie, yeah. I want to go look in my cupboard and see if I have anything. Maybe a, a bottle of uh, wild turkey. I'll even settle for like Mad Dog 2020. To talk about Bird Box is to, I feel like I need to just go get drunk and try to just cope. Oh, because. Wow. I really fucking hated that movie. My God. I really, it it made me angry. And I'll point out why in a few parts. I, I aggressively dislike Bird Box. (laughs) I just don't know. All right. So, so I'll let, so Mark wants to, he wants to pump the brakes on me. So I'll let. Well, okay. You go ahead. Bird so Box I, released on Netflix. Everyone here about you know this is great. I can hashtag this podcast Bird Box. So it was released uh, December twenty first, um, and then the score just came out last week, uh, early January, on the streaming, and then it's physically going to be released um, later in the month in a more deluxe package with tons of music. Uh, what we got either on Apple Music, Spotify, or Amazon Music. Um, the streaming services essentially is about a 10 track abridged version of that score going into this movie. I had no idea what it was about. I saw the trailer. I was like, okay, it's one of those post-apocalyptic movies and um, very similar to the premise of a quiet place where you had to be quiet, which I've not seen before. Now you have to be covering your eyes because if you look at this unseen creature in the film, uh, you immediately commit suicide or for some unknown reason, which never gets explained, there's a group of people um, that uh, apparently are soldiers for this thing and try to get people to look at it and kill themselves. Do you want to um, see? Oh. Yes, right. Um, so it stars Sandra Bullock, uh, which is kind of strange uh, that she would be in a movie like this because you know I thought she was in her career of doing still rom-coms and... Uh, you know, she was just recently in Ocean's Eight, which I hadn't seen. Well, um, at the but, end of this, know, I guess you could have called this movie the Blind Side Part Two, but yeah, sure. Um, oh, and it has oh, John <laughs> John Malkovich, uh, and um, he's the other big name in the movie. Uh, B.D. Wong's in it. The rapper Machine Gun Kelly, who apparently, as I'm looking through my notes, is going to be playing Tommy Lee from Motley Crue in a biopic. Oh, that's great. Um, who was he in the movie? He was the guy Felix. Um, uh, he runs out with Lucy, and they yeah, steal they, the car. They steal the car, and you don't he know had what the, happens to him. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, yep. Sarah Paulson was in it briefly. Uh, I know that we're probably spoiling it, but whatever. Um, Trevante Rhodes, way, way better. She's a great actress. She deserves better than. The yeah, she's great. Movies. Yeah, uh, the guy, the guy from Get Out, the buddy from Get Out, is it? Is it? Oh yeah, Lil Ray Howery uh, who plays Charlie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> one of the guys from uh, The Dark Knight that I uh, <laughs> he oh, yeah. plays one of those. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. One, one yeah, he's just like in it, like with the shifty looking guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was he was um, the one that was part of the cops that tried to yeah. Tom Hollander was in it, and I always confuse him with Peter Nichols, who was in Ghostbusters too. 
um, as uh, the guy that helps the painting, you know. Um, but oh, he was Peter, Peter, uh, Peter, Peter McNichol. Uh, yeah, yeah. Peter McNichol is on Alec McBeal too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but Tom Hollander plays uh, the British guy, but uh, he was. Oh yeah, in... yeah, yeah. He's from Pirates. Uh, Pirates. Pirates of the Caribbean. The exactly. First, the first one. Uh, he was in all three, uh, all uh, two and three. I think he was okay. in part two and three. He's also in Pride and Prejudice. Oh my god, I've, I've seen that movie too many times. Uh, he's yeah. just a just a short little uh, creep. Like short, he always plays a creep. Like, but he always like. reminds me of the guy from Ghostbusters too, yeah, Peter McNichol. Yeah. By the way, Peter McNichol has a reoccurring role on Veep, and he fu- he fucking kills every time he's on screen. It's just. <laughs> <laughs> so foul-mouthed and great anyways just apparently just he was it. in sophie's choice and i've never seen that movie but i'll eventually get around <laughs> right. to seeing that too right um but this movie uh i felt okay so i watched it and um you know it definitely le- was leading up to this really cool moment and you know just post-apocalyptic movies like i always feel like there's going to be something that answers some questions um, the road, uh, was like this. And that's another post-apocalyptic movie that I think this one is trying to ape a little bit from the mist. Um, and, um, the, the, let's all remember the ones. ending of the mist had a twist ending that this movie wishes the mist. Exactly. Yes. You know, there was moments where I did actually get, uh, think of the mist. Yeah. Yeah. You were like, the um, mist did this, but, better. but then, uh, the ending, was just such a letdown where no questions were answered and it just decided, okay, so they'll just live here now. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a disappointing letdown in that sense. I felt like the journey wasn't worth the destination. And even the journey Um, had like, there were some decent set pieces, but usually the way they were glued together wasn't that glued that well. And also some of the presentation was just bad. Like the the scene, like I hate to nitpick, but I'm going to because I I fucking hated this movie. Um, that scene where they have the car crash that they're in with uh, Sarah Paulson and a pregnant Sandra Bullock, the way they dance yeah. around the car looks like something on a Lifetime movie. It's just it's it's presented so badly. Also, another <laughs> scene in the car when they're going to the supermarket and they're all stuffed in the car together, and uh, one of them starts freaking out. The way it's staged, it looks again like you're watching a sitcom. Um, I I can yeah. The way they slapped us together yeah. just it, it angers me. And Sandra Bullock's so heavy-handed when she's yelling at boy and girl. The way she yells at them, yeah, I get it. You're trying to impose your will upon them to keep them from straying away and to stay safe, but it's a bit much. And the whole boy and girl thing, and then naming them at the end. Fuck you. That's stupid. And then the stupid part where you have the guy who sees the fucking the the space vultures and tears the curtains off and wants to kill the babies. Fuck you. I would have wrote that when I shaved my eyebrows when I was 17. That's trash. <laughs> it's all garbage. This movie appeals to the lowest common denominator. I fucking hated it. Get out of here. School for the blind. I, I th- stupid, stupid twist ending. School for the blind. Not even done well. It's bad. The three of us could make a better movie. I mean, you're bringing up really good points. I think that with maybe better casting and uh, just better execution, it could have been something a little bit better. Um, I didn't think it was an absolute train wreck in the same sense that you did, but I definitely didn't walk away thinking, well, I'd never have to watch that one again. I just, I just, yeah, I'm one and done on that one. And uh, I, I'm really surprised by like all of the, 
a claim for it right now in terms of like all it's like it's a phenomenon yeah everybody has netflix so everybody can talk about it and just like the part that really like that part i mentioned where the guy goes crazy and says give me the babies give me the babies whatever you know what part i'm talking about yeah that kind of stuff i don't know if it's because i have a kid now or what but children being put in harm's way is just such a shortcut to trying to be edgy and making us care it makes me angry if it's not done right and having some line well, I think it just ratchets up the suspense. I think that's what yeah, it is. The they, like the way, now the they've got they, something that's so vulnerable. The way they already know. tried to ratchet it up in a movie I already wasn't feeling with this weird limey that came out of nowhere. Like they let him in. They're like, oh, yeah, sure. Come live with us. And you're just like, oh, come on. John Malkovich is mm-hmm. trapped in the, in the garage yelling about it. It's just bad. John Malkovich, <laughs> John Malkovich <laughs> made many bad choices. Uh, in, this, this, in this case, I'm like, John. What are you paying off? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. I'm not a fan. No, no, no. I mean, I, I wasn't uh, impressed with this at all. I'm uh, not to, I didn't think the direction was that interesting. I didn't think the acting was that interesting. It was just, here's a movie that's, um, if you, if this was actually, I mean, it, it says a lot that this wasn't a theatrical release in my mind. I know that Netflix is getting to be a big uh, industry player, but I still, you know, I'm surprised that some movie studio didn't uh, try to put this in a January release mm-hmm. and and try to actually make some coin on this, you know? Eric? But I don't know. How did you feel? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I I, uh, I, I think I, t- I, I watched it the Friday it came out. I just wanted something to watch and it was on and I, and I knew we were going to watch it anyways. So I put it on. I think I texted you guys. Like, I think I gave it a good solid C c minus grading or something like that um i think i still stand by that i am not as violently pissed off as steven is about this film um i found it rather unoffensive um uh but and not and i'm not boring enough to turn it off at any point like uh i don't know it was it was fine it was a it was a it was a fine it was a fine little streaming movie that i'll never watch again um but, but think of which the, is not a compliment. Think of the other stream movies we watched on Netflix even this year. Think of uh, the Night Comes for Us, uh, or think of um, like like, or think of um, what's that one about the, the, from the guy that made Green Room? Um, oh right, but that was that was that was, that's a good film. Yeah. Now Trent should do a score for that guy. One of that guy's yeah, movies. And, and, what's anyways? It was yeah. It, it was fine. It hold was, the dark. Hold, I can see your points. Hold, hold the dark. Or think of, yes, even though it's a little like genre gory, uh, the apostle from the guy that made the raid. Think of the care put into those movies. And even when the script isn't there, visually, something's awesome going on. This movie was visually boring, and the script was something that I could have built it out if, uh, I don't know, I had a, a slow day at work. I just didn't like any of it. You're right. I well, understand the Netflix. Yeah, movie. I didn't think it was great. Uh, they're gonna, they're, gonna, they're gonna keep pumping stuff out, but I can think of three movies this year they pumped out: The Apostle, uh, The Night Comes for Us, and Hold the Dark, which are all three of my yeah. not the best movies of the year, but at least enjoyable experiences of the year. And actually, The Night sure. Comes for Us might be one of the best movies of the year. Anyhow, Bird Boxes, blah. But the music was good. Right. Yeah. I think I read a review uh, even before I saw it that said that that 
the movie didn't quite deserve the score that it got. No. Because they, it's a very tense, tense score. And the movie is trying to, I mean, there's a lot of moments of tension in the movie, but how effective, varying degrees of effectiveness on that on that stuff. But uh, yeah, the, the score always hits. Uh, also, no information online about, about the creation of this score, except we know that there's a lot of stuff they didn't use that it will be released at a later date. So... Well, you know, there was those rumors that they kind of almost forgot that they were making a uh, a score when they were on tour. Um, I think that was mid '90s, though. Right. Um, I think this the 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 entire. I mean, because mid '90s they did four songs, and they're all good songs. Actually, yeah. we'll talk about them in our next episode. But this, like, there's the whole score, and it's good. And I think some of the the, the scenes actually fit what's going on uh, during during what you're visualizing, even though it's nonsense. Um, by the way, I have to let's make sure that we point out this was directed by, uh, Suzanne bear who I'm not very familiar with, but she doesn't make a lot of action movies. Right. Did you see that at all, Eric? Anything else she's done? Huh? Good question. I'll have to look it up. Probably not. Um, you'd know if you did, but I, I don't think, I, I think also I hold a lot to, to quote a, a former guest of ours. Maybe I have dystopia fatigue. And something of this nature right now, like with as dark as things are in the real world, I just don't want to fucking deal with it. And uh, I don't know, floating down a river trying to protect two kids will uh, bird monsters from fucking uh, Bioshock Infinite come at you that you can't even see. Maybe it's not my thing. Uh, by the <laughs> way, Eric, you need to you need to finish Bioshock one. Hurry up. I'm oh, I'm chugging away. I just I just I just beat another uh, another another level. Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm getting there. All right. All right. But yeah, as far as like my opinion of the film, it makes Patriots Day look like the Godfather. But uh, as far as actual songs go, uh, is there any standout tracks to you, buddy? I mean, I can't really think of anything. I mean, it, uh, when I mentioned earlier, when I was watching this with Jen, um, she didn't know. I didn't tell her that Trent Reznor did the score. Uh-huh. And then when they were doing the uh, um, the river sequence, she was like, this kind of sounds like a Trent Reznor score i was like that's why we're watching this Got her. <laughs> there's no Got other her, reason for me to watch this yeah and she yeah. was like oh okay i mean she and you know you've got the piano you've got kind of the um it's just it, for me this score really exemplifies that he's really found his his uh him and atticus have found their little voice on their film work and it's now very distinctive. Yeah. It's almost like in this sense, like John Williams is very distinctive. Hans Zimmer is very distinctive. Um, the uh, Michael Gian, the other, the guy that, yeah, you know, what I'm Star talking Trek. about. He does a lot. Yep. Yep. Uh, Gene Cano. I think that's how you say his last name, right? Yeah. I know you're talking about um, J. J. He's J. very distinctive. Yeah. yeah. He does a lot of JJ uh, Abrams stuff. So the, the big song for me was uh, close encounters.
believe that might have been a song on the river um because that one does end in some pretty huge industrial shit uh in that one the most of the the rest of it's like mark saying kind of samey but not in a bad way but this one gets huge a few songs on this record actually end with they could almost be uh not orchestral because i don't think there's much orchestral going on but more full of fuller sounding quake songs um or yeah just they they build they build and there's a lot of dread dread drones um yeah that's a good one eric what what, do you got anything else written down Uh, just the, the one they released early, the outside song. kind of it kind of has like three movements to it um it's very mysterious it's not under, i can see why that, trent is that undercurrents uh no outside okay it's the yeah, it's no, the song yeah. outside anyways it's clear that like like trent Atticus thought that was their like showpiece for the album because that's the one they released early um and i can see why it's 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 it goes through some pretty cool changes i think they probably chopped that that song up and used it in various places in the movie too but um those two songs i think are the best but yeah, the two, uh, the two that really stood out to me was undercurrents, which is why I just mentioned that. And, um, another one that I really liked was uh, called, and it keeps coming. I did put a little asterisk next to that. Yeah. It does have some dread, some again, the dread sense. Um, it builds up quite a bit. I don't remember what part of the movie it was at because I'm sorry. I've tried to uh, like men in black, my brain from this movie with the, you know, <laughs> magic pen to my eye. But um, also the name and it keeps coming is almost a nine inch nails lyric and, you know, and it keeps on coming. So Exactly. Yep. Uh, that's uh, when I saw the score uh, track listing, that's the only thing that I thought of. And that was from the wretched, right? Yep. So, yep. yeah, uh, there is some, uh, some like uh, you can hear Trent breathing and doing some like wordless vocalization. That reminds me that I forgot to mention the first movie we talked about tonight, girl with a dragon tattoo uh Mara queen is actually credited on like seven songs on that on that soundtrack as doing like kind of the same thing like vocalizations over the music and uh i had forgotten to mention that earlier so anyways well, he's doing a little bit of that in this song he mentioned it now 
So Bird Box. So since, so yeah, are we done talking about Bird Box? Yeah, that's, that's, that's fine. I think so. You know, that's fine. So if I if I was a uh, Rush Limbaugh, I would call it oh Board Box. Anyhow. <laughs> uh, your life as a film critic and another life <laughs> is waiting for you. Joe Baltake over here. There he is. Um, so if you were to rank, uh, not so much out of nine nails, but you know, top to bottom of the scores that we talked about, uh, what would be your top to the bottom just on the scores that we talked about? So that'd be Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl. Patriots Day and Bird Box. I'll go first. Um, so of those, go ahead, Stephen. Uh, to rank these four that we discussed tonight, which are the four movies that uh, Atticus Ross and her Reznor scored the entirety of, which are actual movies, not documentaries, which is why we talked about these four. I would rank them uh, Gone Girl, Patriots Day, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And then if I could visualize a chasm, and something falling way deep into it and then breaking through the earth and falling out on the other side, bird box. I hate to, I hate to hold the quality of the film against the music, but yeah. So there you go. Gongo of course, Pierce. Steve meant to say, of course, Steve meant to say chasm, not chasm. What? That's fine. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm editing. I'm, uh, I'm I, editing actually, I, I am editing this episode, so I'm going to edit that out. There you go. That's <laughs> Uh, I, I'm going to actually disagree with Steve here. I'm going to go with, uh, girl with the dragon tattoo. Number one, number one with a bullet. It's a little, uh, overly long. Um, there's a lot of filler, but what hits hits, it's the most engaging one to me. Um, then gone girl because of those twin peaks vibes. I love it. And then uh, bird box and then Patriot's day at, at, at the end. There you go. Interesting. All right, so I would do Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, Patriots Day, Gone Girl, and then Bird Box. Interesting. We're all, all right. we're all completely different for the most part. Yeah, we had a different experience, but that was fun though. I mean, you're right; they've got their sound, and it's a good sound, and it's it's not always the most engaging sound, but um, when they get you, when they get the hook in, and it's it's fantastic. That's fun. and it works well. They 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 works well with their movies that they, they, they choose to work with. So. No, they know they know what they're doing, and people pay them for something. But when we talk in the next episode of the uh, ancillary works, it's a lot more varied, I think, and that'll be fun to discuss. Because oh, I can't wait! Yeah, all absolutely. this stuff sounds kind of—you can tell these are the same two guys. But when you talk about Juno to mid '90s, to even you know, Halloween's a cover, and then uh, the Vietnam soundtrack, those sound like they—they kind of go all over the place. So that'll be fun. Absolutely. And it'll be a quick, brief talk. And we can't forget also before the flood. Of course. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. I, I I will have, believe it or not, a lot to say about it. I re, Revisiting that and just listening to it. Uh, gentlemen, we probably have 12 years before we need to uh, exit the earth. Yeah. So, <laughs> But the way the human race goes, yeah. like, you know, no, what, it's... you know what's going to happen? Is that everybody's saying, we got 12 years to like get things figured out on... 11.5 years, everyone's going to act like they just realized they had a paper due and be like, shit, I can't drive my car today because the world's going to end. You know, it's just, ugh. Yep. All right. With that, we'll close up the old bag uh, tonight and uh, we'll see you next time to finish out our score talk. Um, but thanks again for listening and uh, we 
Hope we brought you closer to Pod. Oh, <laughs> oh brought it back. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>